When I was in Bible college, I was a pretty useless student. I uh, did very little amounts of study. When I had to write an assessment, I would generally just go to the library a few days before and then go find as many Bible commentaries as I could and then just find kind of quotes which kind of fitted kindly, kind of the uh, argument that I wanted and just kind of drop them in and I wouldn't read the rest of it like, yeah, that seems to agree, in we go. And uh, I, was, I was not a great great students. When exams came along, I was even worse. I did generally not much study at all. If I did five hours of study for an exam, I was like, wow, that is amazing. I would feel great about myself. I would walk around like a hero because I did five hours of study. And I remember one particular exam that I was preparing for. I was preparing for an Old Testament exam, and I was pretty busy leading up to the exam. I think I'd been making a film with some friends. And so in the lead up to the exam, I had done uh, almost no study, and then it got to the day of the exam, and I still hadn't done any study, but I decided that on the train, on the way to Bible college, I would study. And so I did that, and it was good because it was a two-hour train trip. So I got two hours of study done in that train trip. It was pretty impressive. So as, as we, got, we went there, I got to college, and then I arrived, and I was like, I don't need to do any more study now. I've, done, I've got two hours under my belt. I know about Hosea, or I know about Isaiah. I know about all the, the Old Testament prophets. I'm pretty much ready to go. And then I saw all my college friends, and they were sitting around, and a bunch of them were reading textbooks, and they were reading textbooks and some of them were reading church history textbooks. I'm like, wow, they are so prepared for the Old Testament exam that they're reading church history textbooks. Like, wow, they must be amazing studiers. And then as I kept looking, everyone was reading church history textbooks. And I was like, oh, this could be a problem. So I asked my friend, I said, what exam are we doing? And he was like, church history. I was like, Oh, and then I said some words that you shouldn't say in Bible college, and I had to sit the exam having prepared not at all. I had exactly the wrong exam preparation done, and happily, I passed the exam, which is great. I got everything that I knew about church history from a mini-series that we'd watched in class, and that was enough for me. I passed. So I don't know if that says that I'm a really great student or my college had very low standards, but either way, I've got a degree, so that's great. I I tell you this because we are in the last uh, part of Galatians, and when Paul is finishing up here, you would expect that somewhere in here he'd give you, you know, some kind of summary of his message that he's been saying throughout Galatians. And there's a few contenders for what might be there, but I think the one which is worth picking up on, and the one that we're going to look at tonight, is from verse 15, where Paul says this. He says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. And he's saying this because all these people have been saying, you know, you've got to get circumcised, you've got to obey the law, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And Paul's saying, it's not about that. The exam is not on these things. It's about whether or not you are part of God's new creation. I had turned up to the exam thinking it was about one thing, thinking it was about the Old Testament, but it wasn't about the Old Testament or the New Testament. They meant nothing. What mattered was church history. And Paul is saying, you know, the the exam of life, the way that you are right with God, the things that I've been talking about, it's not really about circumcision or uncircumcision. What matters is the new creation. 
And if you've been paying attention throughout this series, you might be like, how can Paul say that it's not about circumcision? Because he's been talking about circumcision the whole way through the book. He's, he kept, keeps bringing it up and talking about how, you know, if you let yourself be circumcised, then you are going to be under the curse of the law. It's like, why is he saying it's not about circumcision now? But you might know the answer. You might have figured out, well, what Paul is saying is he's saying, you know, they want to make it about circumcision. They want to make it about keeping the law. That There are these people, the Judaizers, who are telling the Galatians that you need to get circumcised. You can trust in Jesus, but you also need to get circumcised. You need to obey the Jewish law, and you've got to obey the food laws. You've got to get everything right because Jesus, it's about Jesus plus obeying God's law. And Paul is saying, no, it's not about that. It's not about getting these things done. It's about the new creation. And the new creation is what has come to us when God came to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took the law and he fulfilled the old law. He did everything needed to to be right with God. And he did all that for us. So that he, he did everything so that we could be right with God. So that our sin for when we have broken God's law, for when we haven't lived up to God's standards, may be forgiven and we can be set free. So the old law, the circumcision and everything that goes with that, they are nullified by Jesus. They have been left behind and now we have a new order of things, a new way of doing things and that is the new creation. And the new creation started with Jesus at the cross and it was proven to be true when he rose again that we too would rise with him if we trust with him. And then the new creation begins in us as we are renewed day by day and then eventually Jesus is going to come back and the whole world and the whole of the universe is going to be remade and all of us will live forever with God. That is the new creation. It's not about the old way of doing things. It's about the new creation. So what is this new creation? What does it look like to live in this new creation? Well, Paul gives us these two things which we're going to be looking at today, two ways that we can live out the new creation in our lives right now. And one of them is about reaping and sowing in the Spirit. Have a look with me at verses 7 to 10. This is what Paul says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, if we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers." Now, whenever I read stuff in the Bible about reaping and sowing, I get a little bit nervous. I get a little bit apprehensive about how I'm going to talk about it. And I feel like this because uh, often Christians have used this teaching in the Bible to talk about how you give money to the church. That if you give lots of money to the church, then you'll reap lots of money in return. And these people are often called prosperity preachers. They talk about how God wants to make you rich. You You sow into the kingdom and then you reap great wealth from the kingdom. That's what people talk about. And uh, I have, you know, been able to see this sometimes. As I've told you guys in the past, I used to work at a... Uh, an entertainment venue in Sydney, and I would get the chance to watch concerts, and I would get to watch um, conferences, I'd get to watch school spectaculars, I would open doors and check tickets and show people to the seats, all that. And sometimes I got to work with, well, not work with, work around 
like, you know, 100 meters from religious celebrities. And uh, one of these people was the Dalai Lama, which was really exciting, but it was just two days of Tibetan chanting, which was not as exciting as I thought it would be. Uh, But another person I got to work for was a tele-evangelist who loved to have a private jet and wear white suits and go on TV and ask for money. And it was a really fascinating two days, but it was also really distressing because I would watch as he would stand up and he would talk to people and try and get money out of people. And I, what was you know, really sad was that people would come along and they would want to be blessed and so they will give him lots of money. And I'd see the different ways that they would try and get money out of people. They would try and spruik jewelry that had been you know, blessed by this uh, great preacher or they would try and sell these trips to the Holy Land where if you went to the Holy Land, you, know, you could be in the, maybe in the presence of this preacher and just have to spend lots and lots of money to do this. Uh, at one point, he got up and he preached and he said that you needed to give to him. And if you did, that you, know, you would sow into God's kingdom and then you would reap a, a harvest. And he said that there was a biblical principle that whatever money you give to the kingdom of God, it comes back 100-fold. That you'll get within a year, he said, within a year, you get back 100 times what you put into God's kingdom, which would be amazing. Like that would be the world's greatest investment scheme. Like that is fantastic. I was like, I should really start doing this because I would like to get a 100 times return on my investment within a year. Like that's crazy. Like just say that I earned $50,000 a year. If I gave 10% of that away to the work of God, then within a year I would get that 100 times over, which means I would get $500,000 which is amazing. And then I could retire because I got that money. And then if I gave 10% of that to God, then uh, I would get back $5 million. Within five years, I would be a five billionaire. That would be fantastic. It's really great news, except that it's not true. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says that if you, you know, give to God, you'll get back your money within a year 100 times over. That's not what it's saying. So if people twist this to say that, then what is it actually saying? What is this actually saying about how we sow and we reap? If it's not to reap lots of money and it's not to get really rich, then what is this saying? Well, notice that one of the first things Paul says in uh, verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And what he's saying when God cannot be mocked is he's saying this. He's saying, if you decide that you want to live however you want to, If you decide that you want to live to please yourself and then expect God to give you good things, expect God to bless you, expect God to save you, um, well, then you are mocking God. You are mocking his character. You are saying his holiness, his righteousness, all these things, uh, they, they don't matter to you. You just want to get good things from him. He's saying God's not going to be mocked like that. If you live a life to please yourself, if you live for yourself, well, then the only person who can save you is the person who you are living for, and that's you, and you cannot save yourself. If you, if you sow into your sinful desires, then you will only reap destruction from your sinful desires. Or you can live another way. You can live a life in the Spirit, where you sow into the life of the Spirit, where you live for the Holy Spirit. And if you do that, then you will reap eternal life from the Holy Spirit. You can either live for yourself and reap destruction, or you can live for the Spirit and reap eternal life. That's what he's saying. 
And you might be thinking, oh, hold on, this sounds a little bit dodgy to me. Because what it sounds like you're saying is if you do what God wants, and if you live for the Holy Spirit, then God will save you. And that sounds a lot like works, like you've got to earn your salvation. That's what it sounds like to me. And I know that can't be what you're saying, Tom, because Paul, the whole way through, this book has been saying, no, you're saved by grace. You're not saved by the works that you do. And that's correct. And what this is saying is it's not saying that if you live for the Holy Spirit, then because you've lived for the Holy Spirit, you'll be rewarded by being saved by the Holy Spirit. But that when the Holy Spirit is alive in you, then you have to live for the Holy Spirit. You, you are changed to live for the Holy Spirit. The only way you can know Jesus is if the Holy Spirit comes into your life and brings you to life, that he, um, he helps you to understand that you are dead to sin and that you need Jesus. And then when the Holy Spirit does that to you, then you can turn to Jesus in repentance. And then the Holy Spirit will come and through the work of Jesus, you will be cleansed of sin and the Holy Spirit will now then start changing you more and more to become like Jesus. And if you allow him to, the Holy Spirit will work in you and change you and grow the fruit of the Spirit in you and then you'll be living for the Spirit. So it's not as if you are earning your salvation, but you are just getting caught up in the work that the Spirit is doing and you are joining in the life of the Spirit. And if you do that, then you will reap life from the Spirit. So you either live for yourself or you live for God, but you know, one way or the other, you, uh, you need to make a choice. So he's saying live for the Spirit. Live the life that the Spirit is calling you to. And what does that life look like? Well, he tells us. He says it's the life of doing good. It's the life of doing good because you will reap a reward. And the reward that you will reap, the harvest that you will reap, he doesn't tell us what that is. It's not saying that you're going to get really, really rich. It seems to be an eternal reward. Like when we get to heaven, at some point, we will get something. We don't know what it is. Maybe you get a book in heaven's library with your name inside it. I don't know. I have no idea. It doesn't tell us. But what we can do is we can trust that we have a good God and he knows what good things to give us and so he will give us the right reward. And so we just do it now trusting him that we live for him and we will reap a harvest. And so we live for him now. We live for the Spirit by doing good, by doing good to all people, especially those in the family of faith. That means living out the fruit of the Spirit, living out love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We live that out. It means we live out doing good by loving our neighbor and loving our enemies and caring for our families and our friends by sharing the good news of Jesus with people, by helping the poor and visiting the sick, speaking up for the marginalized. We do this. We do good because that is the life that the Spirit grows in us, a life like Jesus. And as we do this, as we live for the Spirit, as we do good, then we are living out this new creation, this new creation that God is growing in us by His Spirit. Now, sometimes people have used this passage and said, well, look, you know, we've got to do good to all people, and especially family believers, and people have gone sometimes too, too far in either direction on this passage, on this verse. Sometimes people will go, well, look, we've got to look after the family of believers. So we as Christians, we've got to make sure that we look after Christians and we can leave everyone else to everyone else, but we look after the Christians. And other people are like, well, I'm really uncomfortable with showing favoritism. So we just need to look after everyone. And they kind of just ignore this passage. But this passage isn't saying, you know, that we just look after Christians or that we ig ignore Christians and we just look after everyone else. It's saying we do good to everyone especially to people in the family of faith. 
And the reason why we do that is because they are our family. That if you love Jesus, then the other people around you who love Jesus are your brothers and sisters. And just as you look after the people in your family because they're your family, because they're your brother or your sister or your mum and your dad or your, or your kids, whoever they are, you look after them because they're family. We look after each other because we are family. And we know that if we live out this, then we will show people the love of Jesus, that the way that we treat each other is an example of Jesus' love. In John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's saying the way that you love each other is an advertisement to the world of the love of Jesus, so love. So look after the family of believers. Look after other Christians. Care for them because because the way you look out for them will say to people, this is what it's like to be in God's family. That's attractive to people to say, I want to be part of that where people are loved, where I would have people looking out for me. But we don't do it to the exclusion of others. We say we look out for each other. And as we look out for each other, we are stronger so we can look out for the rest of the world. And we can care for the rest of the world. And so we love all people. And especially we make sure that we look out for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's what it means to live for the Spirit as part of the new creation. But that's not the only thing that Paul talks about. The other thing that Paul talks about is that part of living in the new creation is about boasting in the cross. Have a look at uh, verses 11 to um, 15 here, or 16. Paul says this, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. Now Paul says in verse 11, he's saying, see what large letters I use because he would have had someone who was helping write the letter for him and then he would have said, all right, let me take the pen for this bit and then he uses large letters to emphasize his point. He's saying, this is important stuff, people. Because there were, as we've been talking about, the Judaizers who were going around talking to the Galatians saying, you guys need to get circumcised. You guys have got to obey the law so they could then boast about the fact that they've got all these converts. They've got all these people signed up to, to Judaism and, and no one's going to persecute them then because it's like, look how what good Jews we are. We've just added in a little bit of Jesus, but pretty much we're good Jews and we've even got people to join our cause. They're just doing it to avoid persecution and they don't even keep the rules themselves. Paul is saying, I'm going to boast in the cross, which is a crazy thing to boast in because at the cross, his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was humiliated in front of everyone. The cross is not a triumphal thing. To be executed naked like a criminal is humiliation. Why would you boast in that? Well, he's saying he boasts in that because that is where he finds life. He boasts in the cross because he knows that that is how he is saved. He knows that that is where the new creation begins. That is where he is set free from the expectations of the world. The world is crucified to him and he to the world. He has been set free and so he boasts in the cross. 
I've uh, been looking at some job ads lately, and as you look at job ads, there are always these things that happen in job ads. Uh, they always you know, give you a list of criteria that you need to uh, satisfy to be able to get a job. And uh, you know, I go through, and when I do it, I kind of look and I kind of measure myself against these criteria that they've written. And so I'll go through and I'll read it and I'll be like, you know, I must have a degree. I'm like, yeah, got that. And it's like, must have experience. I'm like, yeah, got that. And it's like, must be able to work in a team. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And it's like, sometimes they, then they get a little bit trickier. It's like, you know, must be able to work with Excel. I'm like, yeah, kind of, I can do that. And it's like, must be able to, to speak 15 languages. I'm like, yeah, you know, Google Translate, I can get that done. Or must be able to fly a plane. Like, look, how hard can it be? Like, I kind of go away. I'm like, yeah, I could pretty much fit into that. But sometimes there are criteria which I definitely cannot live up to, like must be a beautiful, good-looking woman. And I'm like, well, that's discrimination, but I could put on a wig. That could be great. I don't know. Probably not. I guess I can't live up to that one. But you kind of measure yourself against this criteria. And when I was on New Start, which is the, the nice word for the doll, um, I, I had to apply for 10 jobs a fortnight. And that was really hard. I would go through all these jobs and I would look for things to apply for. And there weren't always 10 jobs a fortnight, which that I could do or that I wanted to do. And so sometimes... You know, I would just apply for jobs, which I totally knew that I couldn't live up to their criteria just because I was like, well, look, you know, yeah, well, wouldn't it be fun if I could be the CEO of Qantas? That would be fantastic. I'll, I'll apply for that. Um, or, or sometimes there will be jobs which I thought maybe, like, I just really didn't want to do. And so I would apply for it, but then I might just do a rather bad work at applying. Um, where I would, might, you know, misspell a few words or say, key strengths has a great smile or something like that, which, you know, they're not going to hire you for your great smile, it turns out. There are some jobs where I was like, I'm totally qualified for this, and, uh, and I don't know why you're not hiring me. Like, every single fast food person I applied to didn't hire me. I was like, you won't hire me when I'm a pimply... 14-year-old, you won't hire me when I'm a less pimply 27-year-old. Why won't you hire me? Like, I, I just never reached their criteria. And when you apply for a job, though, you've got to, like, talk about yourself. You've got to boast about how good you are. It's like, I can totally do this job. I'm the best at this job. If you hire me, all your dreams will come true. Totally. You should pick me. I'm the best. Because, and then you measure yourself against the criteria and say, look, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And I can juggle and tame lions. I'm fantastic. You do that so that you can have this criteria and show how you live up to it or don't live up to it. And it's not just in jobs that we have this criteria that's going on. We also have this criteria in life. We look at ourselves and have this criteria and we judge ourselves against a particular criteria about how well we think we're going. And we might look at um, ourselves, and I don't know what your criteria is, but maybe you look at yourself and say, look, I know I'm going okay because, you know, I, I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty well at uni. My marks are going great. Or I know I'm going pretty well because I'm, I'm going all right at school. I'm getting all my sacks done and things are going excellent. Or I know I'm doing okay because I got friends and they like me. I'm pretty popular. I know I'm doing okay because I got a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Or I know I'm doing okay because I'm engaged. Or I know I'm doing okay because I'm married and, and I'm, I'm a pretty good husband or wife. I know I'm doing okay because I, I'm, I'm getting enough money. I'm doing fine. You, you feel good about yourself. Or maybe you judge yourself by a, a religious criterion. Like, look, I'm doing fine because I haven't sinned that much lately. You feel good about yourself maybe because you've been turning up to church pretty regularly or because you've been reading your Bible regularly or you, can, you feel like, you know, when people preach, you don't really hear much new stuff. So you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've got that all covered. And so you feel good about yourself. You live up to that criteria. 
Or maybe you, you, when you think about your life, you are totally not living up to your criteria for what it means to have a successful life. Maybe you're like, look, I'm failing at school. And, or uni is, is a mess. Or I don't have many friends. Or, you know, my, my relationship is in the toilet. I'm not popular. Things aren't working out for me. I don't have a job. I wish I did have one. Or no one likes me at the job that I do have. Maybe you look at yourself and you judge yourself and you're like, man, I'm, I'm falling into sin all the time. I'm not reading my Bible as much as I know that I should. I'm, I'm not loving God. And, and when I come to church, I really want to enjoy it, but it's really just boring and I feel like a terrible person for that. Maybe you're not reaching your criteria. Well, what, what Paul is saying here is saying that in the cross, we have a whole different criteria. In the cross, we have a, a new way of looking at things. In the cross, we don't have to measure ourselves against some external standard or against the standard of the, the people around us have for us or the standards that we have for ourselves. That we have the cross and that speaks different things about us. See, if you're the person who's feeling all right about yourself, what the cross says about your life is that you are not all right. That you might think you are fine, that you might think that you're living up to these standards, whether they're internal or external. You might think that you've ticked off all the religious boxes. You might think you're there, but the cross says you are not good enough. That you have disobeyed God. That you have turned your back on Him. And that what you have done deserves death. That you don't know how bad you are. You, you are so bad that the, the God of the universe had to die an excruciating death on the cross for you. But because the God of the universe died this death for you, you are okay. That his righteousness becomes your righteousness. That he takes your sin and he gives back to you perfection. That while you deserve death, you are given life. That God looks at you and he sees the goodness of Jesus and he says, you are okay. That however good you think you are, you are not good enough for God, but Jesus makes you good enough. And that is because of the cross. And so you can boast in the cross and say, I might not be able to boast in my own achievements, but I can definitely boast in the achievements of Jesus at the cross on my behalf. Or if you're the person who doesn't live up to your own internal expectations, if you're the person who doesn't live up to, to other people's expectations of you, or you don't feel like that you are you know, okay with God, the cross says you're not okay, but that's okay. Because Jesus died for you. Jesus has seen you at your very worst and he has loved you anyway. He has chosen you before the beginning of time to be his child. He gave his life for you. He is going to love you from now until the end of time. He loved you before you even existed. He loves you. You are okay. And you don't have to live up to these standards that other people have. Jesus has lived up to the greatest standard and he's done it on your behalf. The cross has something different to say about you. He says you're okay. Says you're forgiven. Says you're set free. Says you're loved. And that is something to boast in. You may not be able to boast in your own achievements, but you can certainly boast in what Jesus has done at the cross. The new creation is about knowing what Jesus has done and living in that.
So how do we live a life that boasts in the cross? How do we live that out? Well, it means that we have to live in a way so that everything you do reflects the victory of the cross. Uh, as many of you would know, my wife Emily, she is an artist. And being an artist, uh, sometimes she will uh, enter into different prizes. Um, whenever you, you go to these prizes, um, we go along and, and I go along and I get to be the, the artist wag and walk around and, and look at the art and figure things out. And there's, there's different ways to experience these, these events where you go to these prizes. Uh, there was one prize that um, Em was shortlisted for. It was called the Bonus Prize. And we went to this photography prize and there was, I think, something like $25,000 prize money on the line. And uh, we went around and we, we, we didn't know who was going to win. And so you look at all the art and you, you look at it and you're like, well, you compare it to, to the art that you, know, that you want to win. So we were always comparing it to M's art. And look at that, you go, oh, that's rubbish. M's definitely going to win. And, oh, that's pretty good. I don't know if M's going to win. And that one I definitely don't understand. It could win because art. And... And you don't, you don't know what's going on, but you're trying to figure it out, and everything's just about comparison. And, and then they stand up and they announce the prize, and they're like, third place is, and this special prize is this. And you, you wait, and you're like, eh, eh, oh, eh, oh. Eh. You get all excited. And then and you're going to see, like, yeah, are we going to win the prize? And it's, and it's all filled with tension and excitement and, and disappointment, maybe. But then there was another prize that we went to. It was called the Blake Prize. And Em had been informed before going that uh, she had won a prize in the Blake Prize. She won the Emerging Artist Award. And so when we went to that prize, it was a whole different feeling. We didn't have to go around and compare her work to everyone's work. We were like, she's already won. So it's like, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well done. Excellent. She won. Great. Well done. Great. And you just have a good time. You enjoy the free food and you enjoy meeting people and you feel pretty good and I feel pretty proud of them. And it's really fun. It's enjoyable because you know that you've already won. And that's how we live a life boasting in the cross. We don't live a life comparing ourselves to other people or comparing ourselves to these internal or external standards. We don't have to live that life. We live as if we have already won because we have already won. Jesus has won eternal life for us at the cross. He's won for us um, a righteousness that we could not have on our own. He has made us right with God. We are fine. We are okay. We have already won in Jesus. So we just live a life celebrating that. So we don't have to live with anxiety that, that we, don't, we don't meet these standards. We can just live with peace, knowing that we're okay with God. And so then we now love other people, not to, to make sure that they like us or make sure that God's going to love us enough. We just love other people because God has loved us first. We live for the Spirit because the Spirit has already made us live. We live this life as if we have already won because Jesus has already won on our behalf. This is what it means to boast in the cross. And then as people look at us, the way that we live, they'll see that the way we live is boasting in the cross. And they'll notice that we are different, that we are not as stressed as other people. We are not as worried about what other people think and we're willing to be generous with our lives and with our love because we have a God who has been generous with us. We live as if we were already one. Because Jesus has already won for us. That's what it means to live in the new creation. So we live in this new creation, living in the Spirit, loving in the Spirit, and boasting in the cross of Christ. 
If you are someone who isn't a Christian, then what this means for you is that there will always be these standards that you have for yourself or that other people have for you that you will not live up to. And even if you think you have met them, you will not live up to God's standard because his standard is perfection and you have not met it. But what this passage tells us is that Jesus has met that standard for you, that he has died the death that you deserve so that you may have the life that you did not earn, so you can live forever with him if you trust in him. This is the promise of the Bible. And so if you want to be free of these expectations and free just to, to live a life boasting the cross, then put your trust in Jesus. And if you're someone who is a Christian, then what this means for you is that you just need to know that you have been set free by the cross and that you can live a life free, loving other people, boasting in the cross because Jesus has set you free to do that. So sow a life in the Spirit because you know that you will reap in the Spirit. You will reap life because of the life that Jesus has won for you. Live a life in the new creation where people will see the new creation in you and they will praise God because of it. How about I pray? Father God, we thank you uh, that you are good to us. That we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. I pray that we will know this and that because of this truth, we will live differently. That we'll live a life that boasts in your cross. That we'll live a life of love to all people, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord God, I pray that we will live in this new creation. Amen.